I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Kind Parenting Company podcast. I'm Jackie Ward. And I'm Kylie Camps. Join us as we explore topics and share evidence-based information, all while honoring our commitment to kind parenting practices. This is a safe space for conversation and reflections on parenting and motherhood, designed to best support you in raising your little loves and to be the parent you want to be. We are so excited that you're here. Let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to the podcast. This week, I am joined by my good friend, Crystal Hardstaff. Crystal is a registered counsellor specialising in perinatal mental health and gentle parenting. She has a background in education, having worked as a teacher and then later a school counsellor before transitioning into private practice to further fulfil her professional love for supporting mothers and their families. Crystal is a registered trainer for the Brilliant Circle of Security program and also shares her wisdom through her own podcast, More Than Mothering. She joins me today to talk all about the importance of teaching our kids about following their intuition. This is particularly important for children in the context of child safety, which we'll come to shortly. But first of all, let me welcome you, Crystal. So good to have you here. Hi, Jackie, and hello to everyone listening. It's really nice to be working together again, Jackie. It's been a little while. Yeah. And of course, on a topic that we're going to love chatting about. Yeah, exactly. I thought you'd be the perfect person given your professional background. Oh, and I didn't mention in your introduction too, importantly, you are a mother of two yourself. Mm, Um, So all that great lived experience too, you're here in the trenches with us. Um, But did I leave anything out of your bio? Perhaps you can, I've done a little introduction, but maybe you can tell us a bit more about your work and, and where you're at in the world. Sure. I thank you for that wonderful introduction. I feel like you did a much better summary than what I try to do when I talk about (laughs) myself and what I do. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, I got into doing this work with the gentle counsellor originally when I was a school counsellor and I was trying to figure out a way to support parents more because I'm a big believer in change starting from the home. So rather than us waiting until, you know, kids are either experiencing harm or if they're distressed or if they're anxious for whatever reason, trying to find a way to support parents and equip them so that they don't have to rely so heavily on the school system or other professionals. And I think that also came about in the past two years, especially if anyone's listening to this, who's been trying to get assistance, there's just ridiculously huge waiting lists at the moment. And we know how quickly kids develop. So that's kind of where I started with the business was trying to find a way to support the mental health of both parents and children. And then it kind of shifted into this area of realizing that those of us who are in this gentle parenting community, or you might call it respectful or conscious, honestly, I feel like they're all the same thing, just a different name, just this different way of parenting to how we feel we were raised is sometimes it can fall into a little bit of perfect parenting 
I feel, mm-hmm. where we're putting immense pressure on ourselves to get it right every single time and constantly critiquing the way we say things or the way we approach things. So that is pretty much where my business is at today is trying to find a way to, yes, support the needs of our children because we know how important that is. And also figuring out how to balance that with supporting our own needs as parents because we too are important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what I love about your approach is, um, well, certainly I know your your deep love for attachment parenting and attachment mm, theory. I yes. think that's how we first connected when I read the book you've written on attachment um, theory. But anyways, yes, it must have been. <laughs> yeah, so the years ago now. But I know that you have you have all of that wonderful research and, and evidence base to the work you do, but also your sense of humor that you inject into this space <laughs> as well. And you know, when we are parenting and and focused on being intentional with the parenting choices we make to sort of align um, with a more gentle or conscious parenting approach, sometimes it can get really heavy. And so I think um, your approach of adding so much humour and lightness into a space that can sometimes feel heavy, I think works really well too. Yes. I often joke about how I use humour as my coping mechanism, Mm -hmm. you know, hello fellow besties with trauma. Um, (laughs) And even then, just doing it then, just to bring back the conversation being lighthearted. But I think that's just part of my personality too. I can't not use humour. And if you're on TikTok or Instagram, you'll even find my videos or reels where I'll do like little skits or something and do a lot of fun facial expressions and just (laughs) try to find a way to make it a bit more entertaining for us because parenting is so hard. Yeah. It's so hard. And I really think that humor is such an important tool to Mm. use to kind of debrief and like dissipate some of that stress that we feel every day. It's a 24 seven job. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. It's also a nice connection medium too, I think, for people um, in this space or who are interested in, you know, consuming content in this space, it really connects you to other mums or parents or whatever it may be when you can laugh about some of the things that, you know, potentially otherwise could be super frustrating or overwhelming or heavy to carry too. So I love Mm. it. Now, a topic that, you know, potentially can be overwhelming or heavy is um, about how we teach our children safety, consent, um, how to follow their own instincts. These are all big questions when it comes to looking after and and teaching our children. And I know you and I recently, you were telling me that in your book club, you're currently reading Fully Human by the wonderful Steve Bidolf. Is that right? Yes. We're reading Fully Human. Yes. Yeah. So that triggered this conversation and why I've invited you in to talk on the podcast today, because a big part of of that book, I haven't read it yet, but you were telling me how a lot of that does relate to um, the importance of tapping into our own intuition as well. Could you tell us maybe a bit more about the book and yeah, what it's been teaching you? Yeah, we've just started this book. So we do a bi-monthly book club over in my community Facebook group, Raising Secure Children and Parents, if anyone's interested in finding a book club for parents. And we try to find balance between books that are going to help us support our children and then books that are going to support us. And it seems like this book, Fully Human, is actually going to be a beautiful complement to both those areas. So Steve Bidolf is calling it Super Sense, And he talks about it being the feelings beneath the feelings. And I really think he is trying to get us to understand a little bit deeper 
that sense of instinct that we have. And you know how people will say, like, listen to your gut, gut instinct. So trying to also bring in that body awareness aspect to it. And I think that the book is going to help support us learn how to grow our own intuition or super sense, as he puts it, as well as he kind of teases that the way that he explains it using this four-story mansion method is so simple that you can teach it to a Mm five-year-old. And that really excites me because then I'm thinking, great, this is something that not only will be beneficial for me, but it's something I'll be able to teach my kids. Yeah, yeah. I think that's so powerful. I sort of just then brought up in my mind um, there was a social experiment done on a TV show. I'm not sure if anyone saw it, but in this show they had all different families and what they did was they um, filmed children being approached in a park, I think it was playing by a stranger. The whole purpose of it was just to see, it was a setup obviously, but just to see how children would react to that stranger encouraging them to cut, to leave the park with them. And it was quite confronting because most of the Mm. children, even the children that parents said confidently from the outset, no, no, my child, they know not to follow strangers or, um, you know, unfamiliar people. The results were really surprising because a lot of children did. And so that particular episode um, stimulated a whole lot of conversation and thought, Mm. no doubt, within families as well about how do we talk to children and uh, best equip them to deal with this really tricky issue, which is, you know, protecting themselves, stranger danger, as it used to be called, safety. So let's talk a bit about that, given the the lessons Mm. or the things that are coming up for you in this particular book too. Was that the parental guidance TV show? Yes. 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 Yes, I watched that. Yes. Yeah. Any thoughts on that? It was very confronting. I actually think I teared up a little bit because it was quite emotional and the parents were quite emotional watching that footage. Understandably, Mm. it's quite terrifying to really go to the what ifs. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't help but go there with your own children when you see this. You think, you know, what would they do? And it certainly made me question whether what I thought my kids would do would be actually what they would do. Yes, because it's one thing to talk about it Mm. and it's another thing to actually implement it. Yeah, totally. So when do, like with your experience working for so long, you know, throughout your career with children and in counselling roles and now being a mum too, when do you think is a good time to start broaching this with young children? I really think we have to take a few initial steps first rather than jumping straight into that narrative of stranger danger. And it starts when they're young. It literally starts from babyhood and toddlerhood. And that is the basics of teaching them the accurate and proper names for all their body parts. Mm -hmm. Nothing cutesy, proper names. Mm -hmm. And also working on body autonomy and consent. Okay. I think those are the really important foundations that we first need to establish with our children from a very young age. Okay. So I wanted to ask, let's take a step back. You mentioned one of the first things that we could be doing in the home, super simple, something that everyone can be doing is using the correct body, correct names for um, anatomical body parts. Why is that important? People might sort of say, well, what difference does that make? What I call it? Mm. Why is that important? Yeah, I think a lot of us who feel uncomfortable when we want to use words like vagina, vulva, penis, testicles, and I'm going to say it now on purpose Mm. to get you to hear those words, (laughs) and for my own practice in saying those words, is because it's likely linked to us being taught that by our parents, where you are going to call it something cute like yoni or 
mm-hmm. willy. I'm trying to think of what the words even were now because we yeah. don't use them anymore. Yeah. And the reason for this is on the extreme end of the reason for this is because if something were to happen to a child, it can make it quite difficult to get to the story of what has actually happened to them because the child is not able to accurately identify which part of their body has been violated. Mm -hmm. So that is in its extremest form, the reason why Mm -hmm. other reasons include that this is a grooming technique as well. Okay. So people who are seeking to hurt children are going to use those cutesy words in their favor of making it play. Mm -hmm. And that's grooming behavior. Mm -hmm. And also when we think about the long term of our children growing up, we want them to be comfortable and confident in their body and knowing what bit is what bit. Because you don't want their first experience of hearing these proper words from other children or other dangerous situations or them being shocked in the classroom at school Mm -hmm. and then realizing they have absolutely no idea about their body. And I think it's really important for us to foster self-confidence, especially in our body. And I also think, especially for girls. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree with you. I think it's so important that we are just normalizing, making this everyday language, Mm -hmm. you know, something that is as comfortable as using your own name, if if that could be a comparison. Um, And it certainly does start at home where children, you know, most often feel most comfortable. So I think that's an incredible um, first step, something, again, that we can all be doing. Um, You mentioned too it's really important to be um, making children from a very young age be conscious of consent when it comes to their Mm. body. Can you talk a little bit about what you actually mean by that? Well, first I'd like to remind everyone of the hoopla that happened online a little while ago, I'm not sure if you remember Jackie, where there was a woman who was talking about how every time she changes a baby's nappy, she asks them if it's okay. Do you remember this? And it sent the internet wild. Break the internet. I do remember this now. I think she was even on Sunrise or one of those morning programs. (laughs) I think she was. I think she was. It really made like international news. (laughs) Well, thinking back to that, I, and and people will have their different views on that, but really what ended up happening was people took it too far Mm -hmm. with what she was actually trying to convey in her message. And she was right. It's true. We shouldn't be touching anyone without them knowing why we're touching them or when we're going to touch them. Think about how violating that is going to be. Yes. And where people took it too far is they thought that, that meant if the child said no, like, oh, guess you're sitting in a sword nappy all day. <laughs> and that's not at all what she meant and it's not at all what we mean either. Yes. yes. And I know that might sound really confusing when you're like consent, huh? Like how does that link in with it then? But that's not actually a consent issue. That's a It's your parental responsibility to take care of your child. Mm-hmm. That's a, actually a different thing. You know, it's like if you get sick and you have to go to the doctor or you need to have surgery or your child, like something happens, like if they break their arm yeah. and they need to go to hospital and they're asking for consent and your child's like, no, yeah, yes. you have to take care of your child. That's like the number one yes. thing that all of us parents need to do. So when it comes to basic human needs and things that must happen, like them having food and water and, you know, safety, shelter, comfort, 
any of those things. It's different. (laughs) A clean nappy. It's important that they have that because they could get sick otherwise. Like that's a very serious thing if that weren't to happen. But it's about the way that you are giving your child respect like you would any other human adult. Mm -hmm. Really, that's what it's about at the bare minimum is respect. Yeah, and I think that is if we take away all that other craziness that sort of got piled on top and unfortunately took away from the the main conversation that probably that woman was trying to have, but certainly the wider conversation is that if we begin to um, introduce this level of respect when it comes to bodies and touching and body awareness and your own, um, you know, freedom with your body, if we introduce that as part of normal development and it's just part of the child's understanding when it comes to their own body from a young age it makes things a whole lot easier as Mm, they get older certainly um you know what we're talking about today from their own safety with um unfamiliar or unsafe people touching but then when they become tweens and teens with their body and um you know sexual activity that they're engaged in and of course into adulthood too so this is a really important thing just to be giving a little bit of thought to I think yeah exactly and what you said just then it's just something to be aware of Hmm. you don't need to get too hung up on how you're going to say it and when we're talking about consent with the nappy changes, for example, right, it's not, are you okay if I change your nappy? It's, okay, I'm getting out your nappy now and we're going to change your bum bum because it's a bit stinky. We don't want you to get sick. Like that's how you approach it. Yeah. It's just letting them know what you're doing, why you're doing it in age-appropriate language. Yeah. And definitely. just like keeping it really simple, try not to make a big deal out of it. But you're teaching your child that I'm going to respect you. And what a great way as well to also teach them their body part names when you're doing that. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, I'm just wiping your vagina very gently. Don't want, you know, any weed to stay in there or whatever. Like that's when you would also bring in that language and they're going to have that body um, awareness. Yeah, exactly. I think that, like you said, that's a really easy day-to-day opportunity that we all face. A million times times. (laughs) (laughs) day-to-day. Just a really easy way because as we touched on at the beginning of the conversation, parenting – you know, there's so many things that we're all trying to pack in. So I think if we can make use of these just day-to-day, everyday opportunities, that's where, you know, these these sorts of things make sense. Um, I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. As they get a little bit older, we talk briefly about the importance of teaching kids about intuition. And so I wanted to talk about um, this tricky situation of teaching children about you know, it used to be called stranger danger when I was growing up. That was a really popular Same. thing. I hear you use the language of tricky people. Yes. That's still what you advocate for? Yes, tricky people. Yeah. So can we talk a bit about how, how do we teach our children about tricky people? So if anyone listening isn't aware or they're like, oh, what do you mean we're not doing stranger danger anymore? Put it this way. Who is a stranger in your child's life? Everyone, including important people like police, firemen doctors everyone's a stranger so that doesn't make enough sense to make our children fearful of everyone especially if they're important to them a stranger could even be a family member that lives far away 
The other side of that is just is that statistically we know that children who are being harmed, it comes from people that they know. So again, stranger danger isn't going to help with that. So the language of tricky people is about being aware of anyone and everyone in a child's life, whether they're stranger or familiar. But the way I like to talk about it as well, which is what we're talking about today, Jackie, is trying to include that with harnessing and teaching our child to listen to their instincts. Mm -hmm. Because I know we've all had situations where we've had like an off vibe about a person or a situation um, where things didn't feel right or you felt unsafe. And there is something in us. There's something in us and it's built into us on purpose to keep us safe. And we need to listen to that. Mm. I think what's really interesting too, a lot of the um, or some information I've read is about the fact that young children who are yet to be or in the process of, um, you know, all this conditioning that happens to us as adults, many people who are older, who are, you know, in adulthood, talk about the fact that they feel they've lost touch with their intuition. And mm. I think a big part of that is because of all the conditioning that's upon mm-hmm. us to, um, you know, there's a whole lot of things we could go into, but just some off the top of my head, you know, respecting authority and ignoring feelings, you know, when trusted people, you know, taking what they say on face value. And this sort of complicates the relationship that we have with intuition and pulls us away from our own inner guidance. Many young children are yet to have all those experiences or be conscious of them. And so a lot of the time their intuition is really powerful Mm -hmm. and they are very um, aware of that feeling when something's not quite right or, and even if they're at an age where they can't quite verbalize that, certainly behaviorally that that can come out as well. Um, So I think for children, if we can use the correct, you know, um, perhaps stories or language to teach them about what this feeling is in their body, um, I think it actually can be a really easy thing for them to access. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. And of course, we want to set our children up for success. We're not always going to be there to protect them Mm -hmm. we want them to be able to advocate for themselves and judge situations for themselves starting from as young as possible especially so that when they get into those teenage and adult years they've already harnessed that skill within themselves so rather than telling kids what to think and feel about situations or people we want to encourage them as best we can to really tune into their body Mm -hmm. and think about for themselves what they think of it. Yeah, it really is like a muscle. I think the more that we become, we mm. teach them to become conscious of that, to practice tuning in, have conversations around what, you know, they're feeling or did they get a certain feeling then, it just gets stronger and stronger and, you know, ideally Definitely. in a perfect situation, they'll default to that when they are a teen or an adult themselves. So, Crystal, I remember once you shared to me in a conversation that you actually were able to witness this firsthand mm. with your own little daughter who is now five. Is she? Also- yeah, she's about to turn six actually. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so I remember I think it might have been around the time she was four perhaps. Yeah, um, I think I think she was a young five. Okay, okay. Mm. So you had a pre- when it happened. Mm. particularly um, powerful or insightful experience yes. with her. Can you share that with, with anyone listening to Yeah, you? definitely. So I had taken the kids to the doctors because she was unwell and we were sitting in the waiting room. <clears throat> Sorry, scratch that. That's not the start of the story. <laughs> okay. When we were in the line waiting to see the receptionist, we had 
a lady who is a stranger, obviously, and she was being very friendly to us. She was talking to the kids. She was commenting on, like, I think they had a book and drawing stuff and just talking about my my daughter's hair being cute. And she attracts people. Like, people are always um, either complimenting her behavior or just about how cute she is because I'm biased she is very cute (laughs) she's cute I can confirm that (laughs) and then that was nice like that was friendly and then when we sat down this is where things felt a bit weird there was a, a young adult man who sort of I saw him beeline across from the complete other side of the doctor's center to us and he got extremely close and remember this is also COVID time so very close and he was talking to my son and just did not acknowledge me didn't really look at my daughter he was like oh mommy likes Batman like do you like Batman and I thought it was so weird and I could tell that something was off with him either he had some sort of neurodiversity. Like there was something else going on with him that I could tell that he wasn't neurotypical, not to excuse what happened. But in that moment, I was thinking like, what's going on here? This isn't a typical like socialization situation. Mm -hmm. And he had someone with him who was kind of trying to chase after him and like calling him back to her. So then I was like, okay, that this seems a little bit off. And when he said that, it's because I was wearing a shirt with like the Batman label. And now I like hate that shirt because of this experience. Mm -hmm. And my kids were very confused. I saw my daughter instantly tense up. And even me, I felt frozen because I was just so keenly watching. And I was like, what is going on? Like, this is so weird. Mm. And then he just kept trying to talk to my son. He was very hyper-focused on him. And my son didn't care. Like, he is not a social butterfly. He was just happy doing whatever he was doing, not giving this guy anything. But he kept going on and it felt like a really long time. So finally, whoever he was with was able to get him away to wherever he was meant to be. And thankfully, they were sitting on another side. Um, There was actually another point where I saw him come to come over. And again, he had to be called back. Mm -hmm. So... Because in the moment I was dealing with my own uncomfortableness and trying not to project like what I was thinking about this person, um, you know, I think even me now, like talking to you, I'm trying to be very careful with the words I'm using. Like I just, I don't want to offend anyone and I don't want to say anything incorrect, right? Mm -hmm. Because I don't know this person. It's just I knew something was off. Yeah. So then I realized, okay, I didn't do anything in the moment and I had my husband in my ear because he's very good at being assertive in the moment and I just wasn't able to say anything, unfortunately, and I was beating myself up about it a little bit, but then I reminded myself, I can talk to the kids after. It's okay. Like nothing happened then. We're all safe and fine, but I'm going to talk to him about this after. And funnily enough, and of course, this happened kind of right after we were revisiting this topic of, you know, body autonomy, consent, and tricky people. So when I was talking to the kids about it in the car on the drive home, I was asking them, hey, do you remember those people that came and talked to us today, those two strangers? And my son is too young, so he wasn't really engaging, but my daughter was. And I was, like, asking her, how did you feel about, like, the lady? And she was like, she seemed nice. I was like, yeah, I thought she seemed nice too. Did you think she was, like, a friendly stranger? And she was like, yep. I don't think she was a tricky person. I was like, yeah, me too. I don't think she was a tricky person. What about the guy that came over and talked to Nate? And she was like, yeah, I don't know. He didn't seem very 
friendly. Like he was being nice, but I felt like he was a tricky person. And, oh, can I tell you all, like the relief I felt in this moment, I was like, yes, thank goodness. Because I didn't want to have to coach her. I wanted her to answer for herself. And I said, yeah, you know what? I felt that too. My tummy was telling me that he was a tricky person. She was like, yeah, my tummy was telling me that too. And the reason why I use this language of like tummy for my kids, obviously, I'm not going to tell an adult tummy, (laughs) but how I try to teach my daughter about knowing if someone is a tricky person is you have to use your head, your heart and your tummy because I want to encourage her to use her her brain, like the logical thinking of a situation of, yes, that's a stranger, so I should be a little bit more cautious. Her heart, because she's going to have some feelings come up or just have something soulful, I guess, in them. And then, of course, where your instincts come from, your gut. So I want her to listen to her tummy because she might get a tenseness or butterflies or, again, that gut instinct, just that knowing that something's not right. So again, we went over that. I just kind of reiterated what I had already been teaching her about. And it was just great to be able to have an actual real life moment to apply that teaching to because we don't do that enough, I don't think. I think we're so focused on reading the books and talking about it, but then we're not using real life examples. And now whenever we're out, she'll say it herself now. She'll be like, hey, that stranger was really nice. I don't think they're a tricky person, mummy. And then we'll talk about like her friends. I had a, a friend take her for one day while I was working and we were talking about how yeah, like your friends, mummy, like, do you think they're a tricky person? No, I think they're a safe person. So now we talk about people being safe as well. Mm, Thank you so much for sharing that, um, that story. And I think, like you said, it plays beautifully into a real life example of what so many of us are trying to do here. Um, If I can just pull out a couple of parts of it, you mentioned that when you're in the car, your daughter, you know, and you were broaching this sort of debriefing over what happened, you mentioned to her, oh, you know, what did you think about that person? And the fact that she said, yeah, she she already identified that something felt off for her. Mm. And I think this highlights a really important thing that often our children, as I mentioned before, they do possess this inherent intuition. And sometimes if we as their parents or caregivers can focus less on teaching them about what it is and more about just opening up for them to share um, what's already there and and getting them to recognise perhaps what they're feeling already, I think that can be a really powerful like um, reframe in our minds as well and then you also mentioned the fact head heart and tummy and I love that because it really does um, involve all of those aspects for, for all of us no matter what age we are but I think a really practical and useful tip can be for parents um, and this comes out of a lot of play therapy too is getting children to identify where they feel things in their body So typically intuition is associated with gut and there's a whole lot of physiological and psychological reasons for that, which we won't go into today, but that's a really common thing. Sometimes children too talk about um, in their heart, their heart can be racing or another common one too can be sometimes children, anyone actually doesn't need to be a child, you can feel um, uncomfortableness or unease in your fingertips and legs. Sometimes there's like a tingling or a heaviness in your legs or you're tingling in your fingertips. So I think just as a something to share, that can be a really useful conversation to have with your child um, about where in their body they felt whatever feelings they felt. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so good. I think we are so focused on being very analytical 
and we think that our feelings and emotions and everything's in the head and it's yes and no (laughs) we must bring that in with combination with body awareness yes we don't give our body the respect it deserves for how good it is to alerting us. Yes, yes, I so agree. And then another, just to um, sort of wrap that up, a really important part when you finish that particular um, little anecdote that you shared is that you talked about tricky and safe people. And I feel like this conversation and this whole topic the last thing we want to be doing is instilling fear in our children, Mm, right? Because community and connection and relationships with people that we maybe we don't yet know, but we will, um, are so important and we don't want to cut that out of our child's life or, you know, induce any um, anxiety there about Mm. that. So I love um, that this conversation of tricky people and feelings and approaching it in this gentle way um, really sets up an opportunity to make friends with strangers when they're, you know, good people that they're going to be in relationship with and that doesn't have fear there while it's still respecting, of course, the fact that we do need to be careful at times. Exactly. And I love how you just so eloquently put that little summary at the end there, because I don't want my kids to be scared of everyone. I don't want to be scared of everyone. Mm. So even when I was approaching this conversation with her and it freaked me out, like, I'm not going to lie. I was freaked out by what happened. Mm. I had to then recognize in myself before talking to her and regulate how I was feeling Mm. because I didn't want to project any of the fears I was having. And I really wanted to see what her true and honest answers were. And yes, I'm so thankful they went in the direction that I felt they should have gone in, but what if they didn't? Yeah. Yeah. then I would have had to have really approached that conversation in a different way, but at least giving her the opportunity first to share. And then I think that would have been nice for her to have me confirming as well and acknowledging not just her, like doing a great job, recognizing that and listening to her body. But I, I could see in the rearview mirror that she felt good knowing that we were connecting over a similar experience. Mm-hmm. Like, ah, yes, like me, like you. And I think our kids really need that as well. We need to be more honest and human with our kids. Yes. Yes, I'm so with you on that. And like with everything that we talk about so often, it comes back to co-regulation and that Mm. connection and the relationship that we're honouring when we approach situations in this way. So I love it. I love it. Thank you. (laughs) Um, So I think that sort of covered, just to recap, a few of the, you know, main things I wanted to touch on. You've, You've offered some really amazing suggestions about how we can start to think and put in place valuable um strategies or or things when we're approaching this topic with our kids. Just to recap, you spoke about using the correct anatomical names for body parts, about honouring body autonomy and awareness and being conscious of that when we're parenting children from a young age. We spoke about the language swap out from stranger danger or strangers to tricky people and how that can look when we're teaching our children to be conscious of these things. And then, of course, uh, nurturing and honouring our children's intuition with things like um, talking to them about how things feel in their head, heart or body as well. So I love that. Such valuable suggestions. Was there anything I missed, anything perhaps um, gems that have come out of the book Fully Human that you referenced earlier or anything else from your uh, professional or, or personal experience that you wanted to add? I was just going to give two books that I generally recommend if you are looking for something to read with your children. Right. So the first one is called Only For Me. 
And um, I'm pretty sure it's an Australian author that wrote that as well. Uh, I originally found them on Facebook, but I do have a blog post on my website, thegentlecounselor.com, where I have got this kind of summary of the story I told you and talking about tricky people, but I do have those books linked if you want to find somewhere. And the second book is Everyone's Got a Bottom. And this is kind of like a staple on the shelf for all of us professionals who have worked in this field with children. That's a really good go-to as well. So those are two children's books I recommend if you're looking for something to add to your collection or to have to support your kids. And I always have people asking me like, oh, how old? Those two books in particular are written in quite uh, child-friendly language. So you can definitely start them from as early as you like. Amazing. Can I just share, only for me, I actually heard the um, author of that book, Michelle, um, I think Michelle Derrick. Yes, um, I was going to say Derrick, Derrick, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing it correctly, but I heard her speak. She came to oh, um, my little one's preschool and spoke um, and she's amazing. It's a fantastic a, book. It's so good. It's just such a valuable book that she did a whole lot of research and consulting with, um, you know, child development experts and, yeah, it's just so brilliant for so many reasons. So I wholeheartedly echo that recommendation as well. Thank you for sharing that. Um, So Crystal, before I let you go, a question that I usually like to ask all the guests that come on to the Kind Parenting Company podcast is if there has been a book you've read that's either changed you or changed your life in some really, um, you know, significant way. And if there is, can you share why that is and what the book is, of course. <laughs> yes. Well, I was trying to think about this because I was like, Jackie, how can I pick just one? Like, <laughs> so mean, making me pick one. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Especially you when we're talking about book club. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but I was trying to think, even though it's not exactly relevant to the conversation we're having today, one of my number one books that I recommend everyone read, especially clients or people that I work with, is Attached by Amir Levine and Rachel Heller. Mm-hmm. it's talking about the attachment styles and like Jackie mentioned, and we didn't even get into, so yeah, I didn't even get to nerd out. It's <laughs> all about attachment theory. So it talks about the different attachment styles, figuring out which one you are. It has like a quiz in there to help assist with that as well. Um, and it talks about how the science of adult attachment can help you find and keep love. So I think it's a really great one for us to have, especially for adult relationships. Incredible. Okay. I'll make sure that I link to that as well as your other book recommendations, your blog post as well, because I think um, no doubt lots of people will be looking those up. Um, So before we do let you go, and on that note, can you share with us where people can find you in case they want to check those out or connect with you further? Of course. So I'm mostly present on Instagram. So it's just at the gentle counselor and counselor has one L. Um, and I'm also trying to build up my TikTok if anyone's over there. Yes. Fun. you know, There's a bit of a mum talk over there. <laughs> um, where else? I have Facebook. I've got a Facebook group, Raising Secure Children and Parents, where I do book club and monthly lives and fun things like that. Um, my podcast, More Than Mothering, which you also mentioned. So thank you. And really, I just offer so many things that I can't even think of. So if you just want to find everything that I do and offer, the best place to go is my website, thegentlecounselor.com, and you will find everything you need there, like links to book a counseling session with me, or if you're interested in Circle of Security, or if you want to check out my shop with a few books I've written on attachment or emotional regulation, just everything's over on the website. 
Yeah, lots of places to hang out and and to connect with you, which is amazing. All right. Well, thank you so much for carving out time in your very busy days. I mean, that last little conversation just highlights it. You're super busy. So I really do appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation with me today. Anytime. Thank you so much, Jackie. And it's an important conversation to have. So I'm looking forward to hearing the feedback for everyone that's listened to this episode. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining me and listening to this week's episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed this content and are looking to dive deeper into the support that the Kind Parenting Company offers parents and caregivers, you will love the range of programs we have available. The range includes online programs for supporting baby and toddler sleep, most suitable for babies aged 0 to 24 months, and also Toddler Life, which is a guide for those raising children aged 2 to 4 years. Each program comes with access to video and audio files, as well as the opportunity to join the community forums. Podcast listeners receive 20% off all programs. Simply visit the Kind Parenting Company website and use the code KPCPODCAST20, that's KPCPODCAST20, at checkout. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.